In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Dear Faithful, Dom Prosper Granger teaches us that it is the ancient temple raised by King Solomon, the King of Peace, to the glory of God, that engages our attention today. We shall find that the portions of the Mass which are chanted on this Sunday are closely connected with the lessons read in the office Roman breviary last night. So let us turn our, our thoughts once more to this splendid monument of the ancient covenant. The church is now going through that month which immediately preceded the events so momentous to Jerusalem. She would do honor today to the glorious and divine past which prepared her own present. Let us, like her, enter into the feelings of the first Christians, who were Judah's own children. They had been told of the impending destruction of the temple by the prophets, and an order from God bade them depart from Jerusalem. What a solemn moment this was, when the, when the little flock of the elect, the only ones in whom was kept up the faith of Abraham and the knowledge of the destinies of the Hebrew people had just begun their emigration and looked back on the city of their fathers to take one final farewell. They took the road to the east. It led towards the Jordan River, beyond which God had provided a refuge for the remnant of Israel. They halted on the incline of Mount Olivet from whence they had a full view of Jerusalem. In a few moments, that hill would be between them and the city. Not quite 40 years before, the man God himself, our Lord Jesus Christ, had sat down on the same spot, taking his own last look at the city and her temple. Jerusalem was seen in all her magnificence from this portion of the mount which afterwards would be visited and venerated by Christian pilgrims. The city had long since recovered from its ruins and had, at the time we're speaking of, been enlarged by the princes of the family of Herod, so favorably looked upon by the Roman Empire. Never in any previous period of her history had Jerusalem looked so perfect and so beautiful as she then was when our Christian fugitives were gazing upon her. There was not as yet the slightest outward indication that she was the city accursed by God. There, like a queen in her strength and power, she was thrown amidst the mountains of which the psalmist had sung. Her towers and her palaces seemed as though they were the crown within the triple enclosure of the walls built, built by her latest kings, she enchased those three hills, the grandest, not only of Judea, but of the whole world. First there was Sion, with her unparalleled memories. Then Golgotha, that had not yet been honored with the Holy Sepulchre, and which, nevertheless, was even then already attracting to herself the Roman legions, who were to wreak vengeance on this guilty land. And lastly, Moriah, the sacred mount of the old world, on whose summit was raised this unrivaled temple 
which gave Jerusalem to be, to be the queen of all the cities of the East. For as such, even the Gentiles acknowledged her. At sunrise, when in the distance there appeared the sanctuary, towering upwards of a hundred cubits above the two rows of porticos which formed its double enclosure, when the sun cast his morning rays on that facade of gold and white marble, when there glittered the thousand gilded spires which mounted from its roof, it seemed, says the Roman historian Josephus, that it was a hill capped with snow, which gradually shone and reddened with the morning beams. The eye was dazzled, the soul was amazed, religion was roused within the beholder, and even the pagans fell down prostrate. Yes, when the pagan came, came there, either for conquest or for curiosity, if he ever returned, it was as a full pilgrim. Full of holy sentiments, he would ascend the hill and having reached the summit, enter by the golden gate into the gorgeous galleries of the, of the temple, which formed its outward enclosure. In the court of the Gentiles, he would meet with men from every country, his soul struck by the holiness of this place where he felt that they were preserved in all their purity the ancient religious traditions of the human race. And he, being profane, would stand far off, assisting at the celebration of this Hebrew worship, such as God had commanded it to be, that is, with all the magnificence of a divine ritual. The white column of smoke from the burning victims, rose up before him as earth's homage to God, its creator and savior from the inner courts. There fell on his ear the harmony of the sacred chants, carrying as they did to heaven both the ardent prayer of, the, of these ages of expectation and the inspired expression of the world's hope. And when, from the midst of the Levite choirs, and the countless priests who were busy in their ministry of sacrifice and praise, the high priest, with his golden crown on his head, came forth, holding his censer in his hand, and entering himself alone within the mysterious veil which curtained off the Holy of Holies, the stranger, though he had but a glimpse of all those splendid symbols of religion, yet confessed himself overpowered and acknowledged the incomparable greatness of that invisible deity, God, whose majesty made all the vain symbols of the Gentiles seem to him paltry and foolish pretenses. The princes of Asia and the greatest kings considered it an honor to be permitted to contribute both by personal gifts of their own making and by sums taken from the national treasuries towards defraying the expenses of this holy place. The Roman generals and the Caesars themselves kept up the traditions of Cyrus and Alexander in this respect. The Roman Emperor Augustus ordered that every day a bull and two lambs should be presented in his name to the Jewish priests. 
and be immolated on God's altar for the well-being of the empire. His successors insisted on this practice being continued. And again, Josephus tells us that the beginning of the war was attributable to the sacrificers, that is, the priests, refusing any longer to accept the imperial offerings. But if the majesty of the temple thus impressed even the pagans right up to its last days, there were reasons for an intensity of veneration and love on the part of a faithful Jew, which he alone could realize, for he alone was the inheritor of the submissive faith of the patriarchs. As such, he was well aware of the prophetic privileges of his fatherland, that these privileges, great as they were, were but an announcement to the whole world that it, that it was one day to be blessed with the more real and lasting benefits of which he, the Jew, possessed only a figure. He quite understood that the hour had come when the children of God would not confine their worship within the narrow limits of one mountain or one city. He knew that God's true temple was then actually being built up on every hill of the Gentile world, and that in its immensity, it took in all, those, all the countries of the earth into which the blood that flowed first from Calvary had won its way. And yet, we can easily understand what a sharp pain of anguish thrilled through his patriot heart now that God was about to consummate before the astonished universe the terrible consumption, the terrible destruction of this ungrateful people whom he had chosen for his portion, whom he had chosen for his inheritance. Whose is there that would not share in the grief of, the, of these holy ones of Jacob, few in number, and now bidding an eternal farewell to that holy but accursed city? These true Israelites might well weep. They were leaving forever, leaving to devastation and ruin, their homes, their country, and dearest of all, their temple which for ages had sanctified the glory of Israel, which for ages and which had given Judah the right and title to be the noblest of the nations of the earth. There was something even beyond all this. It was that their dear Jerusalem had been the scene of the grandest mysteries of the law of grace. Was it not in the temple that as the prophets expressed it, God had manifested the angel of the testament and given peace. The honor of that temple is no longer the exclusive right of an isolated people, for the desire of all nations by his going into it has brought to it a grander glory than all the ages of expectation and prophecy have imparted. It was under the shadow of the walls of the temple that Mary, she that was to be the future seat of eternal wisdom, prepared within her soul and body a more august sanctuary of the divine word than was that whose cedared and golden wainscoting made it so exquisite a shelter for, her infant, for the infant maiden. Yet it was there when only three years old 
Mary joyously mounted up the 15 steps which separated the court of women from the eastern gate, offering to God the pure homage, the pure homage of her immaculate heart. Here then on the summit, the summit of Moriah began in the person of their queen the long line of consecrated virgins who until the end of time will come offering after her their love to the king. There also the new priesthood found its type and model in the divine mothers presenting in that holy temple the world's victim, Jesus, the newborn child of her chaste womb. In that same dwelling, made by the hands of men, in those halls where sat the doctors, eternal wisdom too, seated himself under the form of a child of 12 years, instructing the very teachers of the law by his sublime questions and divine answers. Every one of those courts had seen the word incarnate, giving forth treasures of goodness, power, and heavenly doctrine. One of those porticos was the favorite one of Jesus, where he used to walk, and the infant church made it the place of its early assemblies. Truly, then, this temple is holy with a holiness possessed by no other spot on earth. It is holy for the Jew of Sinai. It is holy for the Christian, be, be he Jew or Gentile, for here he finds that the law ends, because here are verified all its figures. With good reason did our mother, the church, in her, in her office for this night, repeat the words which were spoken by God to Solomon. I have sanctified th this house which thou hast built to put my name there forever. And mine eyes and, and my heart shall always be there. Let the Christian soul realize this. By the grace of God, you are a temple more magnificent, more beloved in his eyes than that of Jerusalem. Take a lesson from these divine chastisements and reflect on the words of the Most High as, as recorded by Ezekiel. The justice of the just shall not deliver him in what day soever he shall sin. Yea, if I shall say to the just that he shall surely live, and he, trusting in his justice, commit iniquity, all his justices shall be forgotten. And in his iniquity, which, which he hath committed, in the same he shall die. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen.